Hi everyone, welcome to HubShot's episode 242. In this episode, we talk about HubSpot workflows versus sequences. Do you need to show the cookie consent pop-up? Dashboard for sales, Google Tag Manager in HubSpot, and much, much more, including admitting mistakes. My name is Ian Jacob from Search and Be Found, and with me is Craig Bailey from Zen Systems. How are you, Craig? I'm well, and we're recording this in the afternoon. Normally, it's a night, and that's because we caught up with Mads from DocuSign. That's right. Good to catch up with him. Jeez, a thought provoker, isn't he? He is. Oh, Mads. Now, listeners, over the years, you've probably heard of Mads. He used to be at HubSpot. And one of their best sales guys. So we have a lot to learn from him. So we love catching up with him. So and if you're listening, Mads, hello. Now, Craig, our growth tour of the week. I've called this suggestibility and Twitter, which might sound a little bit weird. Let me talk a little bit about myself because, you know, who doesn't love talking about themselves for a bit? But I'll, I'll explain why. So I'm very suggestible. I'm not saying this is a good thing. Yep. In fact, I think I'm quite gullible. People used to say I'm gullible. Anyway, I kind of cottoned on to this a couple of years ago. And that's, by the way, that's why I'm not really on social much these days. And I stay off Facebook, LinkedIn. I try and avoid it because I've noticed in myself, it doesn't take much to prompt an action that I later think, oh, why'd I do that? You know, why'd I buy that? Why'd I eat that? It just takes something even, well, we don't watch much free-to-air TV, but just an, I see an ad for some snack food and I'm like, oh, why am I eating? Suddenly I'm eating junk food. So I realize I'm very suggestible. I try and protect myself from a lot of these things, right? So the only social, so that's all preamble to talk about Twitter because Twitter is probably the only channel that I'm on. Now, over the last year, I've been doing this experiment where whenever I see an ad on Twitter, I mute the account. And I've been doing that for, well, a year more. Anyway, if I look at now my muted accounts, it's in the thousands. I've actually basically just muted any time I saw an ad. So it's got to the point now where I just see irrelevant ads. Often they're just in other languages or they're just for products that totally don't even relate to me. And so it's good. So I'm I'm no longer suggestible based <laughs> on the advertising that's targeted at me. It's also, by the way, why I often pay, say, for YouTube. I don't like ads, but I don't... Yeah, I try and try and inoculate myself from suggestibility. By the way, I don't think I'm the only one in this that has this problem. Perhaps I'm I'm a bit more aware of it than others, or maybe there's other people that are more immune to it. Anyway, that all all brings me to Twitter because I was thinking, well, if it didn't take long to exhaust the inventory available to target me, because the, the ads are so poorly targeted now, it kind of indicates, I wonder if the competition on Twitter is not particularly high Whereas on Facebook, I know it's never going to run out of ads to very accurately target at me. So I'm like, oh, I wonder if there's an opportunity here with Twitter. So the reason for all that preamble and all that thing is just through experience, I found this at Twitter. So I think there's an opportunity there. And the other thing I'll say, I think there's an opportunity for Twitter. And so there's a reason their share price has been so low for many years and has not going out because they don't know how to target. They don't know how to actually make money from their platform. So imagine if they could work that out and crack that targeting better. I think there's an opportunity there. But for us as advertisers, I still think there's opportunity in Twitter. So if your audience is potentially on Twitter, especially if you're in a tech-related company or something like that, maybe it's a channel to actually reconsider. Now, the second one you've got is opting out of NPS surveys. And you said you wish there was a way to opt out of NPS, Craig. You know, HubSpot's really good how they have email subscription types yes. where you could opt out of just surveys or subscribe things. So many surveys I get don't have that option. That's and right. And they want to serve me on, and I don't want to do it. So I actually just opt out. I'm, you know, I just, I don't fill out those surveys in NPS 
forms anyway. I think that's an opportunity for brands to just get on top of that because I'm basically unsubscribing because I don't want those survey things. So if you're in the same situation as a business and you're just pumping out survey results with no opportunity just to opt out of survey emails, then perhaps you're doing yourself and your customers a disservice. I totally agree, Craig. Uh, reviewing this with some, a customer of ours in the week gone past and just discovering database hygiene and understanding all these people that were unengaged and what do we do about it and how do we get them re-engaged or how do we clean them out so we're not wasting space and time communicating with them and having no response. So I'd suggest to listeners, try something a little bit left of center. If what, if, what you've been sending them hasn't resonated, try something totally different to get their attention and to find out which way they want to go. Because I'd rather have no and yes rather than have no answer at all. All right, onto our quick shots of the week. And here's one further to our shot last week. The SEO audit tool can now officially check both HubSpot hosted and external websites for seven new issues across categories like performance, accessibility, and user experience. And these recommendations will make it easier for you to build and maintain your website that adheres to the web's practices for good experience for your visitors. And this is tied to the Google rollout, which is about to happen with the core web vitals that we've been talking about and about experience people are going to have while they travel around your site and the web. And the second thing is, listeners, you need to sign up for the HubShots Marketing 28-Day Challenge. Well, at least to sign up if you're interested. We've talked about this on the show. and This is a new program that we're going to be offering. And basically, here's the pitch. If you've had HubSpot for more than six months and you still don't have a campaign running in market, then this is going to solve it for you. So it's an interactive working with us as part of a group to get a campaign in market. Now we have a landing page you can go and click through. At this point, we're just asking for expressions of interest. You're not committing to anything. We've just got a form with a few questions when you'd like to do it, time zone, etc. Let us know. And also any questions you can find out about it. Link is in the show notes. All right, onto HubSpot marketing feature of the week, Craig, and a Google Tag Manager option in HubSpot CMS. Yeah, just mentioning this briefly because it's going to come back in a later shot when we talk about a gotcha. But previously, we manually used to put the Google Tag Manager script into the header in both blog and the pages. Well, now there's just a checkbox like there has been for Google Analytics for years, but now there's just the GTM one. Just put your GTM code in and it'll insert it both in blog and web pages which is fantastic. So listeners, if you haven't checked your settings in a while, I'd encourage you to go through this, have a look. And sometimes we've seen people have analytics and GTM both in there. So I encourage you to insert analytics through GTM and take that out of HubSpot. Yeah. And by the way, this GTM setting, is that new? Yes, it is relatively new. Yeah. Because I, I didn't see an announcement about it. I just noticed it. And I know we've been wanting it for ages, but yeah, it's great. I wasn't sure if it'd been there for ages and I'd missed it, but that's great. All right, now on to our HubSpot workflows versus sequences, Craig. Yeah, I wanted to talk about this because it's actually a common problem, isn't it, Ian? Absolutely. And we covered this back in episode 110, which seems like forever and a day, but really what we're really seeing across the board is everyone is busy and what can we automate, right? So I want to go back. Workflows in terms of automation is in the marketing side. It's a one-to-many action, right? So you're sending it out from your company or you could be sending it from the user, but that one action is going to get sent out to a list of people. 
A sequence is in sales and it's a one-to-one action. So what you do is you will set up the sequence which is going out to that one person before. You'll basically pre-fill all the steps that need to take place or you need to edit it for that person and then you would trigger it off. And it gets sent out from your email or the task gets put put into your queue. Now, in saying that, you can do a bulk enroll on sequences on multiple multiple contacts. So uh, you could see think that that's obviously something that people might go, oh, hang on, but that sounds like a workflow because we're doing it in a one-to-many aspect here. So yes, it potentially could be, but I think we need to really come down to understanding that sales are probably going to be using sequences more often. And a really good example of this that we've seen recently is people using sequences in sales for estimation follow-up. So they've sent the estimate and then instead of forgetting about or putting a task in, they'll, they'll send a, the first action might be a task to follow up. The next might be an automated email. And then they might have another follow-up task, post that to maybe make a call and find out what's going on. So that's been working really well. And we've seen customers implement that really well. Yeah. Can I, I'll just make a comment because I think there is confusion with HubSpot customers about which one to use. I think it's understandable actually, because they often get conflicting advice, shall I call it, or suggestions from actually HubSpot when they're talking. Now, I'll tell you how this often happens. So it depends who HubSpot's talking to. Are they talking to the person in the sales team or are they talking to someone in marketing? So depending on whether they're talking from someone in sales, they'll actually say, oh, you want to send bulk emails out? And the the HubSpot customer will say, oh, yeah, I think marketing is doing that using workflows to automate it. And I'll say, oh, no, no, you know, you can use sequences. And exactly like you said, we can bulk, bulk enroll and so we've got a customer that had like a thousand people and HubSpot was telling their salesperson, oh yeah, you can bulk enroll, you know, doing the sets of a hundred and you can get through your thousand. So you should be using sequences. So then they're talking with marketing and the market's going, oh, hang on. No, no, I think we're doing that with workflows. Then they're chatting with us saying, HubSpot's telling us to use sequences instead of workflows. So you can see how it's happened, right? It's gone from HubSpot wasn't actually saying, oh, here's two equal options and we're telling you to go sequences. It just happened who they were talking through, the message kind of when it made it through finally got so there's confusion in the customers end so i think that's really good that you highlighted where it mainly sits at sequences is mainly with sales workflows mainly with marketing you can use them both though and listeners just thinking back if you're sending a sequence it's usually a sequence of tasks calls to do's and an email that's sent out from you now these emails don't look polished like marketing emails because they look like they're coming from you so they're made up of templates within HubSpot, which are email templates. Whereas in a marketing perspective, you could have a stylized marketing email that goes out. So that's probably a really big distinction between the look and feel of what the end user is getting and how it's being executed on the inside. I think that's right. Let's look at both though. What can both of them do? They can do a sequence of emails. They can put in delays and they can do those things. But on workflow side versus sequencer side, there's various features that favor each of them. That's right. Let me take, for example, a marketing workflow. Let's say we've got an email series that's educating people about a particular topic. And you might say in this series, we've got four emails that goes out. And in between, you might actually put a task in there for sales to give a call, right? After the series is going out. So two emails go out, we put a task in the workflow saying, 
somebody in sales needs to just have a look at this contact, maybe follow up with a call, depending on how they've interacted or opened up the first two, and then the next two emails go out. That's the workflow, right? In sales, in a sequence, what happens is that, let's say we do exactly the same thing. We're going to put somebody in a sequence, two emails go out, we're going to put a task to call them, and then the following two go out. Now, after the first email going out in the sales sequences, if say, for example, Craig, you respond, this sequence was now broken. The person is not going to get the next email. The next task is not getting put in the salesperson's queue and neither is anything beyond that. That is the really big difference between the two. That's a powerful thing. Yeah. Reply drops them out. On the workflow side, back on the marketing side, there's other features. We won't dive into all of them, but just think of branching. You could do branches, 20 different branching, all those kinds of things, interactions with other platforms, Trello and things as well. There's a whole lot of other additional functionality and workflows. We won't go into that now because it'd probably overcomplicate them. But yeah, just remember that. Think one-to-many versus one-to-one. One-to-many workflows, one-to-one sequences. All right, on to our Hotspot Sales Switch of the Week, Craig. And this is something came out of a necessity when talking to a customer of ours. They've got all of these forms coming in. They're trying to keep on top of everything being answered. And they were just like, how do we keep on track of all of this? So we created a dashboard of all of these key aspects that shows them particular types of inquiries because they're going to different people on the team. So they can look very clear and go, okay, for this week, we've had this many people fill out the inquiry form. They can hover and they can see what the inquiry was about. If some people in this case are requesting shipping estimates, that's on a separate widget. And then there's another one, they've got a rental product. So who's asked for a rental and what is the date they've requested it? So we put that all so they can see really clearly without having to go through each form and figure out, oh, what's happening here? they can get a nice overview of what's going on at that particular point in time. All right, onto HubSpot's service feature of the week, Craig, and this is service analytics. And this is nicely coming into alignment with the sales side of the tool. And I w- would suggest it's a well worth a look and familiarization. Now, listeners, you need to make sure you've got service hub professional to have these tools just like you have sales hub professional. And it looks very similar and they've got some interesting things in there. And just really, again, here, it's these little increments that bring everything back into line, make it nice and uniform across the platform. So again, it's at the early stages, but I just want to highlight it because people can easily miss it, but it's a great place to start. Continual incremental improvement. I love it, Ian. All right. On to Hasbro Gotcha of the Week, Craig. Well, following on from earlier when we mentioned Google Tag Manager in the HubSpot settings to go into pages and blog posts, That's which is fantastic. I realized that, well, it's actually really good now, but previously we actually had to add the Google Tag Manager scripts manually into the header template. And you had to do that on the pages side and the blog post. So in previous episodes, I don't know, probably 5, 10, 20 episodes ago, we'd say, oh, just remember a gotcha was, oh, when adding Google Tag Manager, make sure you add it both into pages and into blog posts. Well, now I'm happy to say you don't have to do that. You don't need to, well, first of all, you don't need to manually insert them into the header templates. Two, you just need to tick that checkbox and put your GTM code and takes care of it. So the gotcha is, well, I have to go through all our sites that are hosted and remove the scripts from the blog because they're getting added twice because it had it in the template and I'd also put it into the pages settings. So that's the little gotcha, but it's a good gotcha. I think it's an improvement and it's also a reminder you need to go back and review these things. And the next one, listeners, I wanted to tell you about was 
inbox logging excluded email domains in HubSpot. And this is because your email comes into the shared inbox and it can't decipher from that point. And so it logs everything in the system that is included on a particular email. And so just in case you're like, hang on, I just excluded that. Why is it appearing now? That's the reason why. And there will be some support articles that I'll share in there just to make sure how you can filter things correctly. You know what, we should do another gotcha around people getting confused between connecting their inbox to log to HubSpot and connecting their their own email address into the inbox, the conversations inbox. We had a client, actually quite a large client, someone in the team, instead of just connecting to log from Gmail into HubSpot, they'd actually connected it and all their personal, all their company emails were appearing in the inbox for anyone to see in the conversations inbox. So yeah. Gotcha. Maybe we should uh, clarify that next week, next episode. All right, marketing tip of the week. Do I need to show the cookie consent pop-up? And this is a question from one of our clients. They are a global business, but the business in Australia operates here in its own entity and they serve Australia and New Zealand. So they were like, we need to put this consent pop-up saying that we're tracking everything. And I was like, really? And we had this conversation. And so you found the answer, Craig. I actually got legal advice on this because yes. I, I wasn't sure. And the answer is it depends on the country you're in. So this particular answer is just for Australia. If you're an Australian business, even though your site might be global, as long as you're not specifically targeting the EU or California for that matter, you do not need a cookie consent pop-up. You just do not need it under Australian law. However, you probably do need to include mentions of it on your privacy policy page if you are collecting that kind of information, but you do not need a cookie consent. Anyway, that's just Australia and you should probably get legal advice. I've actually put a link here from Legal Vision where they specify this. However, for other countries, go and do your research because I see it on every single website. Everyone's got a cookie consent pop up, including most of the Australian sites I go to. They actually don't need it and perhaps you don't need it either. So just uh, this is not legal advice. This is just a mention to go and get legal advice about it. All right. I inside of the week, Craig, admitting mistakes. So I, I got feedback about some of the things I say on the show and it says, it seems like you guys make a lot of mistakes. And it was said as, as a bad thing, as if, yeah, as though we're kind of sloppy and incompetent. And I felt, I felt awkward about that. I don't know how you felt about it, Ian, but I was like, oh, is that the impression I'm giving that we're not very good? But I, I kind of feel it's helpful. I actually think, well, you know how you can write a book and say, oh, I've made heaps of mistakes or there's almost a badge, you know, I've failed my first business. Fund. People can say that. But apparently the difference is if you give specifics, which we do on the show. We talk about specific things we get wrong. And that associates in people's minds, ah, oh, these guys aren't very good. So I was aware of that. I'm like, ah, oh, are we misrepresenting ourselves on the show? Anyway, I've decided I'm actually okay with it. I think it's more helpful to our audience to talk about the things we stuff up given that they then might learn from it and not stuff up and follow that mistake. And the other thing, isn't that just a part of improvement? Like exactly. Growth, you make mistakes and whether you trumpet them or just admit them, you, you grow. And so, yeah. So anyway, I just wanted to mention, we're going to continue to do it. So folks. And I think, Craig, we operate in an industry, in a sector that is constantly changing, Right. I remember when I was at university and the, the head of the faculty said, I still remember it very clearly the day, first day I, I joined. She said, you know what you're going to learn today is going to be obsolete tomorrow or next year. And then in, in the third year, you know, it's going to be obsolete again. She goes, 
What you have to be able to do is have a framework to work this out and to figure out the solution. She goes, that's what you're going to end up leaving here with. And that's been my life and I'm sure your life up until this day of us having to work things out and figure a way through something because none of the things we do here has been charted before, right? So I'm sure some things have been, but a lot of them haven't. And we're constantly pushing the product or doing things and trying things that people haven't tried. So yes, things don't work or they don't work like we expected to because we're expecting a particular outcome and we're okay with that. We then try to find another way to get the outcome that we're after. So listeners, like I said, I think we operate in this world. It's, it's not 100% and we're okay with that. And we just want to share our experiences along the way so that we can help you avoid the things that we're trying, testing and trying out and you can get to the end quicker. This is exactly right. I want to say two more things. The first is, and because I'm feeling a little bit defensive about this now, right? <laughs> I'm like, we take over, like we're brought in to fix Correct. HubSpot portals and we've taken over portals from very well-known agencies and we see some of the stuff they've set up and it's like really bad. Okay. So even the best agencies, we're kind of surprised sometimes how bad their setup is. The second thing I want to say though, is sometimes we go back into our own portals for clients we set up years ago and I go, oh my goodness, this was terrible. Well, not terrible, but like we've improved so much more. So it is continual learning. And that's why I'm kind of very sympathetic to other agencies because they're probably like, yeah, we've learned and we do stuff much better now than we did before. I mean, we probably charged about a third as much as we do now. It was probably good value at the time, yeah. but we're actually quite expensive now. But mm. back then it was probably still okay, but it's so much better now. And I think this is the case with other agencies. We've seen other agencies do it. So I'm very much the case. Everyone makes mistakes. I'm happy to say we make tons of mistakes and I'm happy to share them if it helps our listeners do better. And I think the other thing, Craig, is that I've discovered is that we've come from a technical background. As much as I don't like technical, some technical things, I don't like I used to code, but it wasn't my favorite thing to do. I, have, I love other things. But you know what? That's given me a foundation of how to organize things correctly, how to think and structure things correctly. And that comes back into the portal when we're doing things. It's like, have we organized? Have we thought about the structure correctly? Have we thought about the types of objects we're collecting? So we're thinking through all of these things. We're not just thinking, well, how do we get to the end? But we're thinking about how do we pave the road well so we're not fixing all these potholes constantly on the road. Yeah, actually, that's a good way. You know what? I wish I'd said this when, when I got that feedback. There. I, was, I kind of feel like I'd say like, um, oh, yeah, I, uh, we make lots of mistakes and we're going to continue to, but the difference is we don't make the same mistakes. That's right. Did you want to talk about the Amazon execution, Craig? Just quickly. I know Australia's behind, say, the US, so this is probably just table stakes for the US, but I was amazed, you know, we get Amazon, we get everything delivered. They're very good, but on Saturday night, I was ordering a book and just to get it normally delivered through Australia Post, oh, I deliver by Wednesday. Then there's like, oh, Amazon hub lockers. I'm like, oh, what are these? Anyway, Amazon set up their own little lockers uh, in various places around where I live. So I chose that and I said, oh, you'll have it tomorrow. I was like, what? Anyway, sure enough, I went through. So I'm ordering it Saturday night and then I get a message midday Sunday. It's in the hub locker and I picked it up that afternoon. I'm wow. like, oh, wow. So my point is... They've hit a limitation Correct. with Australia's existing infrastructure, Australia Post. Yep. So they've just said, oh, well, we're not going to let that limit us. We're going to build our own infrastructure, put our own thing, our own logistics in. And I know Amazon's well known for this, you know, especially in the US. And I'm just like, oh, 
the insight or the takeaway for me is, oh, well, I quite often hit limitations in advertising platforms or different technology platforms. It's like, ah, oh, this is incentive for me to take the attitude, ah, oh, that's a limitation. Most people won't try and change it. Because all the other e-commerce businesses in Australia, they're not trying to improve it. They're just like, oh, we're at the mercy of Australia face. I don't want to be like that. I want to be like Amazon. It's like, oh, how can I get around that? So I was thinking particularly the one that often gets us is audience sizes. So yes. LinkedIn or you're trying to build a retarget, you can't get it. So how do you get around it? Well, one way is you actually build out large audiences that you know are not a full strike rate, but at least will get you over audience sizes. So the people in that audience that you did want to target will be a great. So there's little tricks and ways around it, but I think it's the attitude that's important. Mm. Don't let existing limitations stop you. Stop the results that you're going to get. All right. The HubShot's throwback of the week, Craig. And this time a year ago, HubSpot was announcing ticket automation for Service Hub Starter. Wow. That enabled internal notifications and reply to ticket emails. Just a year ago. Wow. It's come so far since then. Sure has. And today we talked about the new analytics. All right. Now we've got a resource of the week. Google shares technical SEO best practices for e-commerce sites and via search engine journal. So listeners, have a have a read of that. I think it was rather good. And the quote of the week, Craig. I like this quote. I'm not exactly sure where it's from originally. I was in a book I was reading this week. I can't remember which one. But the quote was, there's plenty of competition for ordinary, but hardly any for exceptional. I love that quote. All right, listeners, again, subscribe to the show notes. There are some bonus links in there for you, for those who subscribe. Yeah, a bunch of interesting topics, ones around WordPress plugins to avoid because they affect server, um, site uh, performance speed. and site speed. Got uh, another one, Google My Business Updates and not being able to include phone numbers in actual posts on GMB. So look at that. And then, oh, the, have you seen this Where Is Larry? No. SEO. It's an SEO escape game. I won't say more. If that's piqued your interest, check it out in the show notes. I'm going to go have to play that on the way home, Craig. And listeners, again, thank you for listening. And if you can share the show with anybody else that is either considering HubSpot or is using HubSpot, that would greatly help us. Until next week, Craig. Catch you later, Ian. Hey there. Thanks for listening to this episode of HubShots. To get the latest show notes, HubSpot tips and marketing resources, sign up at hubshots.com. You can also book time with us to help you grow better with HubSpot.